Welcome to Pharmacy View Podcast, where we provide regular interviews with pharmacists and key people within Australian pharmacy and the associated global industry. In this stream of podcast episodes titled Rx to Riches, we delve into the evolving global pharmacy landscape, exploring the challenges and opportunities, and examining the current state of retail pharmacy across the globe. With each guest, we discuss the hurdles they face and the potential growth areas that may shape a brighter future for your pharmacy or industry-related business. I'm your host, Michael Alexander, pharmacist, digital health enthusiast, and co-founder of Ottery, an AI-powered communication intelligence platform serving the healthcare industry across the globe. My guest today is proudly brought to you by Shopfront Solutions. For all your shelf and digital marketing needs, part of the Arion Technologies Group. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Alex Barker. Alex is the founder of the Happy PharmD, a coaching program that has helped over 2,000 pharmacists transition to new jobs within pharmacy or new businesses outside of the industry. He is also the author of the book, Indispensable, A Prescription for a Fulfilling Pharmacy Career, which I read and very much enjoyed. So Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the intro and thank you for the kind words about the book and thanks for having me. Um, it's an honor to be on a podcast on the other side of the world, uh, be, being interviewed by an American. It's very surreal. And it's your first ever interview. So it's like, I just feel really good about myself right now. Well, you, uh, you should. It, it, it's an honor and a privilege, right? It is. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. So I mean, first off, uh, tell our Australian pharmacist audience a little about your personal pharmacy journey. Yeah, so American pharmacist here, and and I do know that there's some big and some not so big differences between our nations and how we run our pharmacy. Um, for me, uh, I fell in line with a current doctrine that exists in America, where if you want to be a good pharmacist, then you need to do a residency. And I believed it, hook, line, and sinker, and I did a one-year residency program that focused on uh, academia, community, and ambulatory care. And after that, I got into clinical pharmacy work for a government agency uh, here in the States, in Michigan specifically. And I became very burned out very quickly. Um, I thought I was going to love the work. I thought, oh, this is, I'm performing at the height of our license. That's what they say here in the States. You perform at the height of your license. And um, I was at the height. I was at the pinnacle. I was looking out at the mountaintop and going, wow, um, I don't like being up here. I don't like doing this. And on top of it all, I had some bullies in the workplace. I mean, I was a young buck. I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I didn't really have a backbone. Um, and it led me into some really dark times in my life. Nothing horrible or awful, just like, you know, feeling like a failure, feeling like I worked so hard to get this degree, to do a residency, and now to do this professional job to feel like a, a sack of crap, you know, and I, I really hated that. But I can look back on those moments very fondly because <laughs> while it sucked at the time, it was the motivation I need to 
really figure out what would help me to love pharmacy? What would help me to really enjoy the hard work that I know how to do and, and can do it well? And so that led me on to my path where I'm at today and creating the business that I had. And I've discovered uh, through coaching that that's something that I'm very gifted at and I love doing. And I've learned how to help other pharmacists do the same for their careers. Um, and that has meant mainly helping pharmacists find what they love within the profession and getting them into that. And as you alluded, we have helped people, not a lot, but we have helped people also leave pharmacy as well. Um, pharmacy in the States, and I can't speak to Australia, but we have this very weird thing where our profession for many is like a, it's like a second choice. You know, it's, it wasn't their first choice. It wasn't their dream career. Um, but we've helped people become, um, real estate agents, financial advisors, uh, business owners. Uh, we have one comedian that we've helped. <laughs> and so um, we really focus on helping pharmacists discover what they love and we help them get that job as quickly as possible. So it's been a wild ride since I graduated in 2012, but here I am, I'm still alive. Uh, I have all of my appendages and I feel good. I feel really good. And I'm on an Australian podcast. I mean, I got nothing to complain about. <laughs> Life seems good. Life seems good. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of what you're saying about your journey is going to resonate uh, with uh, pharmacists um, listening to the podcast. I know it resonates with me. And um, I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned in that, um, and you also mentioned this in your book, where a lot of your pharmacist clients talk about you know feeling stuck in that kind of day-to-day -day drudgery can we say drudgery? I think we say drudgery of retail yeah. pharmacy work, right? Yeah. And you you kind of felt the same way um, in the earlier in your career. So how can pharmacists get unstuck, right? And and really practice at the top of their license? It's different for everybody, and I and I feel like the best thing to do is just to be aware of it. Um, I think a lot of people, well, according to stats here in the states, about a third of every pharmacist. Uh, is looking for a job at any given time. That's about 100,000 people. And that's a lot of people to be looking. And if you've ever had to look for a job, you know how painful it is. And I think people go through this cycle of feeling stuck at their job. And then there comes a moment when it's like, oh, manager said this, or a patient told me this, and now I'm real mad. I'm not sure if this is a PG rated podcast or not. I'm, I'm a real tootin' mad here. And you put that energy towards looking for a job and then you don't hear back for a few weeks. Maybe you get one interview or two and then you go there, you get the job or you don't. And if you don't, which is the major majority for most people, you go back to the drudgery of your job. And I think the moment for me that I knew I was stuck was when my, when I told my wife, um, I, I don't want to be around you or the kids after work. Um, I remember coming home and just telling her like, if I hang out with you guys, I'm afraid that I may snip, I may yell because I'm just so angry and fed up with my situation. 
Um, and so I was actually just reading an article about this problem. And, and I think the, 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 one of the best solutions that the research points to when feeling stuck is to talk to someone outside of your situation and your profession. Because when you talk to another pharmacist, they may feel the exact same way. <laughs> and, and sometimes when you talk to a family member, you're like, you're so far uh, removed that you don't get it. You, you don't understand me. And there's also that love uh, aura around people that, you know, if, you, if you're married to a non-pharmacist like I am, you can do as best you can trying to explain it. And they, they just don't get it. So I think if you do feel stuck, I would encourage you to reach out to someone that you trust, someone outside of the profession, someone who can look at your situation objectively and just hear you out, but also hold you accountable. Um, you know, I think it's really easy to surround yourself with friends who just tell you what you want to hear and not really challenge your thoughts or your beliefs about your problem. Um, and I attribute a lot of my, my journey to um, my close friends who call me out on my uh, lies, let's say, the lies that I tell myself. Having those people who care about you, who can call you out, because it, it's easy for me to tell myself the same story that I've been telling myself, which usually only makes me feel worse about my situation. And um, having that support, I think, is critical for everybody. If you don't have it, go out, seek it, pay for it, hire a therapist, hire a coach, do what you need to do to take care of yourself because you only have one body, you know, one, one time with this life. And so you're worth investing into you're worth putting that effort even if you feel stuck i guess that's my encouragement for you wherever you're at in your journey yeah yeah and i think that's that's great advice and it it's interesting because one of the real limiting factors that you talk about in indispensable is about fear you talk about fear a lot in your book which i, I think is interesting you know the feel fear of failure fear of rejection uh and that's the true kind of barrier um, for all of us, not just in the pharmacy uh, space, but particularly for pharmacists. And uh, what I thought was interesting is that uh, you talk about how pharmacists are hardwired uh, to accept that failure is not an option uh, in their profession. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about that and how that type of thinking you know, impacts the way a practicing pharmacist or a pharmacy manager or even a pharmacy owner might be able to to innovate in their business or you know over you know overcome their fears and look for uh, new growth opportunities, you know, what's the best way to overcome all that? I think it changes based where you're at in life. Um, you know, I know that Australia's education system is pretty similar to, uh, to the United States. And I know that, I know that from experience, I've actually worked with a few Australian professors, um, on different projects and they lamented a lot of the same problems that we have. And it's that our education system trains us in such a way where we feel like a failure very easily. Um, the way we are tested 
makes us feel like a failure very easily. Um, I mean, we have license exams that were required to pass in order to practice. So the whole system in my, from my point of view is it's, it's not really based upon true learning or curiosity or passion. It's based on ideas that you could be right or wrong. And if you're wrong, people die. So here's your F. Um, and I think that instills within the profession a high risk aversion. You don't want to take risks with your life, with your professional life, uh, with your job, with your business. Because if you do, you've been taught your entire life, you're going to fail. You pro And if you do fail, well then, guess what? Everything around you will probably fail. Um, your partner will divorce you. Your kids will grow up to hate you. <laughs> you it, it's so... The reason why I say I think it's different at different stages is because I'm still recovering from the fear of failure. Um, you know, my my father recently passed away from terminal cancer. And as he was dying, which took about a year, about halfway through it, I had this repeating record in my mind as I'm dealing with my own grief. Um you're a bad father. You're a bad um, leader in your company. And the reason why I had those intrusive thoughts was because I didn't want to do anything. I wasn't motivated to work on stuff. I wanted to spend all my time alone in this very office. And in fact, I got bursitis in my shoulder because I was just sitting like a lazy bum all day, all day for days, for weeks, for months. And I was incredibly hard on myself because I wasn't living up to the expectations of what I learned from society, from my education system, from my jobs, um, and even within my own company. And I learned through very good friends from a therapist and from my coach at the time that you feel like a failure because you're losing out on something that you cannot save. And I was very lucky to have people in my life who loved me enough to tell me the honest to God truth. You're a good leader most of the time. <laughs> you're a good father most of the time. You're a good husband most of the time. And while I didn't accept it at first, that helped me cope with failure. It helped me in those moments overcome my own fear of losing my father, which got extrapolated to losing everything um, in my life. And so I, I, I think everyone's fear is a little bit different but I also think that most of our fears are unfounded because while we need to be vigilant in terms of patient care, there are plenty of spaces professionally and in business that should allow us to make us 
uh, to, to, to put forth that security blanket that says it's going to be okay. We, we can move forward. You are a good leader most of the time. You're going to fail and that's okay because you're human. You're not a robot. You don't want to be a robot. You want to be you. Um, so I, I don't think I've truly answered your question, but I, I share my own story to say, gosh, darn it, guys, I, I'm on a journey. I haven't figured out everything, but, um, we say this within our own company that it's journey before destination. And I think, you know, would, and thank you for sharing that personal story. I, I think, you know, you're, you're spot on when you're talking about, um, how everyone's at different stages of their journey. Right. And, um, and there are life events that kind of, uh, illuminate, uh, various aspects of our, our character that we want to maybe improve on. And, and it's sort of a, a kick in the, in the pants to, to try and do that. Um, and I, so I think that in terms of, of fear, um, cause I think it's a, it's a really interesting topic. You know, there is that personal type of, uh, motivation to overcome what we've been, I guess, ingrained with throughout college and, and into the, you know, uh, when we enter the workforce, but there's also a structural aspect to it, right? Structurally, it's very difficult to, uh, create a sandbox where you can play and innovate. And it's interesting because now the far, the pharmacy industry, uh, in Australia and in the U S obviously is being pushed to innovate. It's being pushed to become more efficient, to pull in new technologies like AI, for example, um, how, how do you think we could start to do that? What's the first step in trying to bring in some of these uh, new technologies potentially uh, and, and create that sandbox while at the same time, to your point, you know, making sure that we don't impact patient care and the quality of our, uh, our ability to serve patients? I think it comes down to two, two main things in my opinion. I think it comes down to uh, commitment and space. So whenever I hear, I won't say managers, but I'll say leaders in general, you know, sometimes leaders like to talk a big game. We're open to new ideas. We want your new ideas. But if you talk to people on the front line, they'll tell you the truth. They'll tell you what they think and they're not willing to listen. And there's this great study out there where they asked this, uh, the entire hospital staff, and they asked this question. It was related to, uh, the question was something like, what are the things that we are doing that are just plain stupid? They use the word stupid. And I was like, oh, the, the cojones on these guys. I, I loved it. And people spoke their minds. And what was interesting about it is that it was less than 10%, I believe, it was around 10% of the things that they listed were actually regulation required items. So what that means is that the majority of the things that they said that they're doing that are stupid were time-wasting things that the hospital was not required to do, but they were doing them anyway. And People on the front lines know what is going on in the company and what needs to change. But I think leaders in general are both not committed 
to listening, really listening to their people and accepting these harsh criticisms of how the company's being run um, and creating the space for these people to talk about these problems. Um, I remember when I was a clinical pharmacist, I had figured out how to do my job so incredibly fast. And it was using some innovative techniques that allowed me to be very quick with how I was handling my patient load. And I was really excited about it. And I showed my manager, who also was my one of the bullies in my workplace at the time, and she basically shot down all of my suggestions. She just was like, okay, no, that's not, we're not going to do that. But I was like, but I'm saving, I'm saving you and your company and, and the, the government money. Like, <laughs> this is incredible. Like, look what I can do. And she didn't care. Um, so I think by creating an open space where people can voice what our problems are and get creative about what the solutions could be to those problems. And then having a leader who is committed to trying to solving them. I, I think leaders are typically scared by that endeavor. I, I've talked with leaders about these kinds of things and I've advised a few people as well. And the biggest thing that they're always scared of is like, well, I know people are going to suggest dumb ideas or ideas that aren't feasible. And and I said, well, are you more scared about hurting your ego or are you more scared about your pharmacy failing? And I think most people honestly aren't willing to face the truth about these matters and, and willing to play in that space. You know, we you're talking a little bit about uh, the ability of leaders to create that space for innovation and for pharmacists to feel comfortable uh, talking about their ideas um, and how to improve the business. But there's also a flip side, right? In that a lot of pharmacists listening to us today, you know, who work for large chains, um, have a lot of ideas. They're brimming with ideas, but they have a difficult time having those ideas being heard, whether it's management, um, creating a barrier or something else. I mean, it, isn't there, isn't there, shouldn't there be a proactive approach on the part of the pharmacist to to push to get their ideas heard? Um, or is it just a matter of, well, if, if manager is not willing to listen, it's probably, you know, uh, a failed attempt and not much you can do about that. I think it's fine if for those on the front lines, I think it's finding an advocate. Um, my experience changed for me when I found my advocate. Um, it, it was this woman in HR who you know, I, I want to stay away from HR, right? You get HR, it's like, please, I haven't done anything wrong, you know? <laughs> you put your hands up. But um, Marianne, she was so great. She believed in me. She loved my ideas. She got me involved in also all sorts of projects and, and initiatives within the organization. And, you know, she was a person that I would have followed, I, w I would have loved her as my boss. Um, 
And I think when you have someone that you can get along with who understands you and gets your ideas and fights for them, man, it makes it makes the journey so much easier. Um, but if you feel like your manager is not willing to listen, if you feel like your manager is someone who is not going to play the game of innovation with you, I think you have a couple of options. I think you you can play the political game of trying to figure out how to go around this person. That is doable. It's not fun, though. So what I encourage really most people to do is to change environments. Um, you know, you made a comment there that, again, I don't know everything that's going on in Australia. I know that they are fighting the chains just like everyone else. Um, and I know that people add chains here in the States anyway, do often complain a lot about the conditions that are going on. But there's also some really great people working in retail and chains. There are great leaders in these places. And I think it's about finding those people. But if this is the thing that's bothering you the most and you wish you could get your ideas out there, well, then either become a leader and try to change the organization from within or look elsewhere for employment. Because people are willing to pay for your ideas. Um, in fact, one of the best strategies that I've seen available as far as career development goes is really taking your ideas and turning it into pitch decks for businesses so that they go, yes, you're our, you're our person. This is the exact idea that we want to do you're the person to do it. You see it. You have a vision for it. Come along. Um, it's how I've hired a few people within my own company. Like they tell me what they want and I go, yes, you're the person to do it. Come along. Take my money. You know, <laughs> do that thing. That's a great idea. Um, so that would be my encouragement to to people on the front lines. Try Try to find your advocate or look for employment elsewhere. It's part of it as well. And you mentioned this, this phrase in your book, which I really liked it, you know, being in your zone of genius. So as part of that, first of all, talk a little about what that means. Uh, and as part of, you know, being noticed, sticking to your zone of genius. Yeah. Zone of geniuses was a game changer for me to understand, uh, in my own career journey. So if you think about anything that you do, any task, job, anything, Think of all of those things within a, a big old circle. And at the circle on the outside is what I would call your zone of incompetence. So I'm incompetent at a lot of things. Um, doing my taxes, <laughs> uh, putting together machinery, um, vacuuming, doing the dishes. I, I do these things, but I'm pretty incompetent at them. You know, my wife will pull out a glass from my cupboard and go, Alex, come on, you know, like, I can, I can see spinach in this thing. Like, why? you got to do a better job. I have to ask really quickly, are you pretending to be incompetent to get out of doing it or <laughs> more awful incompetent? No, actually, I actually do the dishes the most in the house. And if my wife were here right now, she would attest to this fact. Oh, I have hard. gotten better. But most things we do, we're incompetent at. But eventually, a circle within this large circle, so a concentric circle, right? One within is your zone of competence. Um, we become competent at a lot of things. If you become a licensed pharmacist, you're deemed by the uh, the state or the, the, the nation, 
you are able to do the job of a pharmacist. You get the seal of approval. So it means you can dispense medicines. You can educate people about medicine. You can do all sorts of things. You are competent at these things. You can do the job. But that doesn't always mean that you are great at it or even good at it. Your zone of genius lies within your zone of competence. And these are the tasks or the things of your work where it has certain qualities. Um, you love doing it. When you, in it. when you get interrupted doing that work, maybe you become angry or you're frustrated because you I was in a state of flow. I enjoyed it. You may have heard people talk about a state of flow where they talk about that time feels different when you do that work. Um, it often doesn't feel like work. When I was on my own self-discovery and kind of hating my job, I remember there was a moment where I was teaching some patients about diabetes meds. And at the time, I remember being very honest with myself and saying, I really don't give two hoots about diabetes meds. I, I don't care about this at all. I don't think it's very interesting. But when I was in front of them and I was teaching them about this, I was on fire. I felt like I was on top of the world. I enjoyed every moment of it. And I remember that feeling and, and thinking about that after the experience and going, there's there's something magical here that if I could just be doing this all the time, I would be really happy. For me, that was a clue that kind of triggered me to go down that as my career path. And I almost became a university professor. My indispensable career path involved teaching because that's what I love to do. So I, interv I got multiple interviews at different universities. I got a few offers and I ultimately said, you know what? Uh, this job fits within a part of my circle of my zone of genius, but there's too much of it that's outside of my circle. There's a lot of bureaucracy in uh, academia. Some academics are going, yeah, some are going, nah, what are you talking about? But uh, there's a lot of bureaucracy and there is more research involved than I really care to do. And there's scholarship activities that I just did not really want to involve myself with. Not because I don't care, it's just because my passion is teaching. So for me, I, I carved my path to doing what I do now. I run this business and I do quite a bit of teaching and I love it. It's fun. Finding your zone of genius is fairly difficult unless you are working with a coach or someone who can know how to listen to you and ask the right questions. But you probably know one or two activities within your work that you really love or enjoy. It's about finding those moments and thinking strategically about how can I make this my entire job or career path. So I think that was the first part of the question. <laughs> but that's what a zone of genius is. And in my opinion, life is way too flippin' short to not 
to, to not be in your zone all of the time. Um, it's so much fun. That I mean, fun, believe it or not, is one of our core values in the business. Um, if something isn't fun for someone, uh, that, that means we have to either figure out how to systematize it, uh, delegate the, the job, or eliminate it entirely. Um, because when people aren't having fun, they're not being productive. They're not, they're not growing the company. Um, perhaps it's a radical idea within pharmacy to even think that way, but, um, it's my company, my rules. So <laughs> we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Thank you. That's the first time anyone said it on a podcast. Well, it makes me feel good. Thank you. Well, let me ask you this then while we're on the zone of genius, uh, what if, your zone of genius or a pharmacist listening lays outside the profession. I mean, while we support pharmacists, we want them to stay in the profession. There uh -huh. might be a few who are thinking about transitioning to another career as we did, by the way. So how should they approach doing this in your opinion? I think you have to be very careful because going into something blindly and jumping full long into it, whether you want to be a comedian or you want to be a school teacher without getting your feet wet in the water, you can drown quickly. I was talking to a pharmacist who quit the profession and decided to start up her own equine uh, training school. And she had been, she's been doing it for about a year and she's, she is world class. Okay. We're, She's amazing at what she does. It is her zone of genius to be working with horses. Unfortunately, she has never run a business before, and she's made some classic mistakes that every entrepreneur makes. She is too involved in the business to run it. She is working 14-hour days, six, six days a week, and she's struggling with figuring out how do I grow this thing so I'm not burning myself out? And I've done that very thing in my own business earlier on. I would encourage anyone who is seriously considering, even if it's just building a business, to slowly build it with time. Um, you know, for me, uh, I knew in 2012 that I needed to do something outside of a day job. So for five years, I created businesses and all of them were failures. Um, one of them was really, really good. It actually helped me pay off this house, but the vast majority of them were failures. I, I got into a franchise. I sold uh, stickers in schools. I sold online content, um, baby strollers on Amazon. I did coaching. I did consulting. I did a lot of stuff, but I did it all while having a full-time job. And my wife uh, didn't work, still doesn't work at, as of this mo moment. And so I was the sole, you know, moneymaker in the family. And had I just quit my job back in 2013 when I was burned out and frustrated and Belize 
Um, I, 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 I don't know how I would have made it. I could definitely see myself failing in that endeavor. And so I encourage everyone, you know, take your day off and, and spend two, four hours just learning, trying to get your feet wet. Get paid to do one job in the, in the field or thing that you're thinking of. And, and I would also encourage people to don't, don't throw away pharmacy yet. Um, we, I've helped enough people now to know that some people are so sick of pharmacy that they can't imagine a job or a role or a business within the profession because they just are so fed up. Um, but time and time again, it's, it's like 95% of our clients stay within pharmacy after they transition into the new role. Um, and we, when people ask, well, what are the 5%? Do I say, well, their businesses and some of them are kind of related to pharmacy, but we just kind of put them in that 5% because we're like, well, if we have to justify this under a court of law, <laughs> which we wouldn't, but <laughs> we just want to be truthful and honest, you know, 95% stay within pharmacy. So, you know, I, I would say to those that are so fed up with the profession, really consider all of your options. You have an immense amount of knowledge and expertise in something. There's probably a way to turn that into a job or a business. We talked a little bit about this throughout the podcast, but just kind of bring it all back to the start. What is the one thing pharmacists can do today to start becoming, in your words, indispensable and find that joy in their career? I think the simplest thing that you can do is think about a moment at work when you were happy, when you had a little bit of joy, or someone told you they appreciated you for something that you did. And hold on to that moment and ask yourself a challenging question. How can I replicate this moment? What is one small thing that I can do in my work today to try to replicate that moment? And the reason why I use appreciation from others is because when someone appreciates you genuinely, it, it highlights something about you that maybe you don't even want to acknowledge or, or you like to downplay even. I've seen this a lot in pharmacists. They don't like to outshine others. Pharmacists in general are team players. We don't want to seem like we're better than others. But the truth is, is that you're better at something than someone else. And if you get appreciation for those things, there is potential to get even more of it. There is always opportunities within your current job to spend more time in that zone of genius. And it could mean having a discussion with your manager and asking how you can do more of this. It, it could mean that you have to leave this job because there's no opportunities for you to do more of it. Um, but by being real with yourself, I think you can explore some really potentially life-changing moments for you 
because it doesn't have to be this way. It, it doesn't have to be drudgery all of the time. Um, so I would encourage you to ask yourself some tough questions and to not be afraid to tell someone else, maybe outside of your company, uh, a spouse, a friend, a colleague, a mentor, and to say, I want to do more of this. I want this. Can you help me? Um, it is possible. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again with the people that we work with. Um, and also remember too, we're pharmacists. We enjoy helping people. It's typically why we join the profession. So if pharmacists like helping people, it may be time to ask another pharmacist for some help. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that's a, a very nice point to, to end the discussion. Uh, but before we do, where can our listeners find you if they want to take advantage of your consulting and, and coaching services? You can find us at thehappyfarmd.com. That's our website where we, we, we have a lot of blogs and resources on there about different career paths. A lot of them apply to uh, Australia. I know this. Um, so you can find more information there. If you want to connect with me, feel free to do so on LinkedIn. Uh, just type in Alex Barker. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn or, or on the website. I'm happy to connect. Send me a message. Let me know what's going on. Happy to chat. That's my prerogative. And yeah, happy to connect. Awesome. And we'll include some of that information in our show notes as well. Uh, but Alex, thank you. thanks so much for joining the first ever RX to Riches podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for joining us today on the Pharmacy View podcast. And don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment if you found this episode of value or have any feedback. Podcast episodes are promoted through social media, LinkedIn, YouTube, and major podcast mediums. And each episode can be found on the Pharmacy View webpage with links to guest contact and business details. If you're a pharmacist or industry support supplier and would like to join us on an episode, send us a message through LinkedIn or complete the inquiry form on the Pharmacy View webpage. I'm your host, Michael Alexander, pharmacist and co-founder of the communication intelligence platform, Ottery. On behalf of Shopfront Solutions and Arion Technologies, thanks again for joining us today on the Pharmacy View podcast.